Even men like Talon Card occasionally make mistakes. This is the Chimera. Launch the attack. Time to go to work. You won't let me get killed, will you? Is that what I was supposed to be doing here? I should have brought my lightsaber. Welcome everybody to Star Wars Bookworms. I'm your host, Teresa Delgado, and I'm here with my co-host, Aaron Goins. Aaron, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing today, Teresa? Good. We are here with a very special episode. This is actually Star Wars Bookworms The Interviews, and we are here with Star Wars comics and novel author, John Jackson Miller. John, how are you today? I'm doing fine. Glad to be here. We're very glad to have you here. Um, for those of you who don't know, John is the writer of comics from the Knights of the Old Republic era, the Knight Errant comics, as well as Lost Tribe of the Sith, which are also short stories. And he's also the author of the upcoming novel, Kenobi, So, which I'm sure he might talk to us about, but we're not going to impress him for too much information, I don't think. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, as we're recording this, it's still about three months away when that's coming out, so uh, I, I'll say what I can. Let's put it like that. Okay, so, John, we wanted to talk to you about your um, Star Wars fandom first. So, how did you get into Star Wars? Was it at a young age or later on in your life? Uh, yeah, I was, uh, I guess, nine years old when the movie came out. And uh, people could not get into the movie in the beginning. It was, uh, you know, this was back before the age of the multiplex. Uh, so, it, it took a while to uh, to get in, I think. You know, our little our little theater that uh, had it, uh, and we were in a pretty big town. I mean, it was it was Memphis, uh, but I mean our 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 theater that had it theater that had it was you know, only a two screen movie theater, uh, and they had it only on one screen. It took a long time to get in. Uh, ironically, my exposure to the film first uh, before I even actually got in to see the movie, uh, the entire Marvel uh, adaptation had come out. Uh, and uh, that was the sixth issue adaptation that uh, was uh, you know done by uh, Howard Chaikin and Roy Thomas, uh, and they had uh, s released the first three issues of the series, uh, the first half of the adaptation before the movie came out, um, and it was a blockbuster and it sold a million copies uh, and and was reprinted many times, uh, but uh, but. Yeah, that tells you how long it was before I could actually get in to see the movie. It was, uh, you know, the 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 sixth issue of the storyline was out, and so I had uh, I had, you know, absorbed the Star Wars story from comics first, uh, before we finally got in to see the movie. And of course, I saw the movie and and was thrilled by it, and and you know, started collecting the toys and uh, continued to read the comics and. You know the the first you know sort of grown up novel that I ever had to read was Splinter of the Mind's Eye, uh, which at least at the time uh, that that came out, uh, you know the buzz on it was that it was going to be the next Star Wars movie that it was it was the plot for it. Uh, you know, turned out not to be the case at all. But um, you know, I, I remember reading that. I I think I was just ten years old uh, when that came out. Uh, you know, Star Wars uh, you know became part of my comics collecting hobby in general, which really you know, dominated you know, the next phase of my life, uh, I you know, was drawing and you know, drawing my own comics, writing my own comics, uh, you know, also you know, typing my own stories as well. Uh, but you know, I, I think that uh, you know, comics was sort of my on-ramp 
uh, into fandom, uh, and Star Wars was part of it because, again, you know, that was one of my favorite comic series. Um, and, uh, you know, it, that collecting, you know, continued for years, um, and, you know, it, it eventually leads on to how I got into the writing part of the business, uh, you know, later on. Uh, you know, to make a long story short, uh, I went through journalism school, uh, became the editor of the trade magazine for the comic book industry in the 1990s, uh, and uh, through, through that work, I, you know, got to meet a number of people in the comics industry, uh, did some work for Marvel, wrote Iron Man for a year, and then that led to my getting to, uh, to write Star Wars. So if you read the comics first and then you saw the movies, was there any kind of, because I know like sometimes if you read comics and you go watch a movie or you read a novel and then you go watch the movie and there's some differences, was there anything that stuck out to you when you saw the films that didn't look quite right because the comics was the first thing that you read? Well, of course, the, uh, you know, the, the, the Star Wars uh, adaptation you know, was based on uh, an earlier version of the script that still had Jabba in it. Uh, and it was, uh, it was the, you know, what we later called the monkey Jabba, uh, the, the, the character who is now, they decided it would be a, a different character now. Uh, uh, Mosep Benid is now the character that the, 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 uh, the sort of uh, baboon-looking Jabba that appeared in the Marvel comics uh, has been sort of retconned into. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, you, you, there were a couple of things like that. You know, Big's Darklighter, his part in the, in the original script, uh, is is still in uh, the Star Wars comics from that era, but not in the movie. Um, you know, I, I think where really uh, where the differences really got to me was uh, when Empire Strikes Back came out. Uh, that time, I read the novelization first uh, by uh, Don Glut, I think was his name, uh, and he uh, he you know that book came out i think 3 or 4 weeks before the movie did and you know we were all reading it in class happily spoiling the movie for uh, for ourselves uh, there in middle school um and you know i think by reading that i had a number of misapprehensions i assumed that uh you know yoda was much more of a you know sort of a, a, a middle earth hobbit style figure uh, I didn't know what he was going to look like, and I, and I don't really know whether the author knew exactly what he was going to look like when he wrote it at the time either. Uh, but then there were just some misapprehensions uh, that that you have when you're reading a story. That the, the uh, in prose there there's the moment at the end of The Empire Strikes Back where uh, Darth Vader just gives up on chasing uh, Luke uh, after they've gone to hyperspace, and uh, the, you know the line in the novel is that. Uh, somberly, Darth Vader walks off the bridge. Well, I was a kid, and I did not know that bridge was actually a physical place on a Star Destroyer. I, I was saying, bridge? Where, what, what is this? He walks <laughs> off a bridge? He's so depressed he has jumped off... The, Darth Vader is so depressed he has jumped off a bridge. Well, this is what I thought when I was 12. Uh, so, so, yes, that was much different when I saw it in the theater. Um and you know when uh, when Empire Strikes Back, I'm uh, I'm sorry, when Return of the Jedi came out, once again I spoiled it for myself because I got one of the copies of the Marvel Super Special uh, that came out, uh, you know, before the uh, you know before the uh, the movie did, uh, and you know that was one where they actually tried to you know get all the copies back, uh, and you know there's a famous story behind that. Peter David, uh, comics writer who. 
later uh, collaborated with me when I was uh, working at Comics Buyer's Guide. Uh, you know, he was he was Marvel's uh, sales. Uh, he was one of Marvel's direct sales representatives. Uh, and when that super special came out uh, three weeks early, Mark Hamill discovered a copy of it in his local comic shop. Uh, called Lucasfilm, who called Marvel and said, "Go get these things, <laughs> get them <laughs> off the shelves." And Marvel was like, "Well, what could we do?" And they ended up sending poor Peter David running around New York, asking retailers to take the thing off sale. Which, of course, they you know I'm sure they put it right back out, but he he, he at least made the effort. Um, you know, th th these were the days where it was you know before the internet, uh, but you know even so. Uh, you know, everything that was in that uh, that comic book was on Entertainment Tonight the next week, so or wow. the next day. So, yeah, it it, it it's uh, you know the the you know movie security is something that uh, has you know developed and improved somewhat over the years. But uh, uh, yeah, even without the internet, uh, there were spoilers that would get out there, and and that one was unfortunately it, it came from the book getting out early. But and and I don't know why I insisted on reading the magazine first. I think it was just I wanted to know something before the other kids and. <laughs> I have tried to break myself of that. Um, you know, uh, Star Trek, uh, the movie came out this, this weekend here, and I managed to not know anything about the movie until like two hours beforehand when somebody accidentally uh, spoiled it for me. Uh, I'm trying to get better about that and, and not spoil things for myself. Well, does it still have the same impact when you watch it on film if you've already read it? I think so. I mean, you you don't get the interplay necessarily between the actors, uh, you know, when you're when you're reading uh, either a script or or you know a comic book version of it. Um, and you know, certainly one of the things that I you know find remarkable still about the original Star Wars: A New Hope uh, is you know, how much dialogue they jammed into action scenes. Um, you know, one of the one of the knocks against comic books is that. Uh, you know, for years you'd have action scenes where Spider-Man would be wisecracking his way through the scene or something like that, and you'd just say, you know, there's just no way that, you know, somebody who's in the middle of an action scene could have that much dialogue or could, you know, have thought balloons that are that busy. Uh, but if you go back and watch the escape from the Death Star, uh, you know, there really isn't any firefight that's so bad that they can't stop for five seconds or even, you know, not even stop, but to have an argument. Uh, and they're they're bickering constantly, and so you know when I did get to do uh, you know my first series at Dark Horse, the Knights of the Old Republic series, that was something that I went for. Um, I wanted to have a feeling in those stories that these are characters that did not want to be together in the beginning. Um, you know they they their intention was to you know you know go their own separate ways or or whatever. Uh, they had absolutely no intention of being, you know, heroes or in the middle of the jam that they were in. Uh, and, you know, with with uh, with a couple of exceptions, I mean, certainly Princess Leia wants to be a hero. Uh, Luke wants to be a hero. But Han Solo really doesn't want to be where he is at the at that point in time in the movies. Um, and and so I tried to do that uh, in Knights of the Old Republic uh, with the story of Zane Carrick and his uh, him trying to escape. Uh, from from his masters, uh, and yeah, there there are some fun moments I think that we got in there where uh, you know we we are in the middle of a, a chase scene through space, and uh, you know our characters sort of drop everything in order to have an argument. 
uh, and tell some jokes. There's a lot of jokes in Star Wars, and I, I, I guess I try to, you know, what I try to do is even the dark stuff, uh, and Night Errant in particular is probably one of the darker, uh, you know, times or you know parts of the timeline. Yeah, I still try to have some laughs in there. Uh, because otherwise, it's just unremittingly depressing, and and uh, I don't really think that's Star Wars so much. Uh, I think you, I think there's always, um, you know, there's always a, a lighter approach that you can take to some of the material. So, do you have a favorite movie, or does it kind of rotate depending on the day? Well, I think most people agree that uh, Empire Strikes Back is the the best of the movies. Uh, yeah, the, the scripting is, is, is just simply outstanding, and uh, which you know, shouldn't surprise us. I mean, the, you know, the first version of the story was you know, by Lee Brackett, uh, who, uh, you know, famous Hollywood screenwriter, uh, you know, wrote To Have and Have Not with uh, you know, Humphrey Bogart and Lauren Bacall years and years ago. Uh, Lee was married uh, to a, a famous uh, you know, comics writer, uh, and, uh, so, I mean, this, this, this is, this is, you know, there's, there's a, there's a feeling there that, uh, is, uh, you know, that, that I think is somewhat different than, than in the first film. It's, it's a little darker, but it still has uh, a lot of the same humor in there. And, uh, you know, the stakes are higher, uh, or at least we, we feel the stakes differently. Uh, the stakes are more personal. Uh, certainly we can say that. Uh, and, uh, and so, yeah, I, I think that, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's probably my favorite of the movies, uh, you know, certainly for just sheer fun, uh, yeah, you probably, you've got to go with A New Hope. Uh, I, I like Return of the Jedi, too, uh, this, the, you know, the prequels among the prequels, you know, the third, uh, you know, Re Revenge of the Sith, uh, you know, has great moments in it. Uh, and you know, there, there's something to be found everywhere. I, I I love Ben Kenobi telling the guy to go home and rethink his life. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's that's what you want. You want you want lines that are quotable. You want you want uh, you want dialogue that you can that you can uh, you know, hang on to and repeat to other people. Right. So um, I'm sure you heard the news today about the new Rebel series. Did you watch the Clone Wars? And are you excited about this new one? Uh, I watched some of the Clone Wars. I, I am excited very much about the new one. It, 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 again, it's a lot closer to the era that I grew up with, uh, and so you know, certainly uh, you know there there are a lot of uh, it, it's a big sprawling continuity. I mean, it's huge. It goes you know for for centuries, uh, and you know you can be familiar with some of it, but you, you some of it you don't know by heart necessarily unless you uh, either grew up with it or you had to study it incessantly, like I did for the Knights of the Old Republic stuff, uh, or the or the New Sith Wars era for for Knight Errant, uh, because I was working in it. Um, you know, but I can I can you know I can see some of the images that uh, you know they're talking about the Ralph McQuarrie images that they're going to be basing some of their ships off of, uh, and I can say, okay, I know what that is. Uh, I I I I you know I I can I can look at that and say. All right, that's the thing that's later later on going to turn into the Tie Fighter or something like that, um, and so it's it's a little bit closer to what I'm familiar with, and of course you know there's nothing wrong with the with the earlier material, uh, and I, I need to you know get down and watch all of it at some point. Uh, I, I I watched quite a bit. I just haven't seen it from you know, from 
start to finish every single episode. Uh, you know, this I think I will definitely you know be keeping up with, especially since again with uh, with Kenobi, I've got a book that's you know takes place uh, in between episode three and episode four. Well, a lot of your work, or most of your work, really has been in the Old Republic era. Is that the era that's kind of your favorite? Is that where you're the most comfortable writing, or is that just kind of uh, how it happened? It, it just happened that way. Uh, I had written uh, one issue of Star Wars Empire, uh, which you know is set between uh, episodes uh, four and five, uh, and uh, I was asked uh, by Randy Stradley at Dark Horse to... Uh, develop a new series that was going to associate with uh, the Knights of the Old Republic title. We actually didn't, when I wrote the plot, we didn't know exactly when it would fit in the timeline. Uh, we figured that out later. Uh, but, you know, it, it could have just as easily uh, been a story that I had written for, you know, a later part in the timeline or something else if they had wanted to do a, a, a series, you know, set later. Um, and, uh, you know, again, Knight Errant uh, was a part of the timeline that I wasn't familiar with at all. Um, and uh, the, you know, the, I think the somewhat easier thing with that was that there simply had not been a whole lot written in that uh, part of the timeline. Uh, but, uh, again, you know, to me, I think it's all Star Wars whenever it is. Uh, you always are going to have, you know, some, you know, sort of signposts. Uh, visually or you know thematically that tell you what that you're in the middle of uh, you know a a story which belongs in the Star Wars universe uh, you know you can kind of uh, yeah I mentioned Star Trek earlier you know as a storyteller you can kind of look at a story and say okay that's not a Star Wars story that might be a Star Trek story that might be a plot that you would do over there because it's you know much more reliant on technology or something like that uh, or, or you know, just thematically, it, it doesn't necessarily fit uh, with you know, sort of the space opera that we have in in, in Star Wars. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I mean, I I could very easily have uh, you know taken on something in a different part of the timeline. Uh, I think that uh, you know what I what I kind of like about you know some of the earlier stuff is uh, yeah, you can show the roots of thing, things that happen later. Um, and, uh, you know, you're, you're not there to connect the dots or anything like that. Uh, but, you know, I, I do enjoy, you know, showing, you know, the continuity in a culture. Uh, and certainly, you know, Lost Tribe of the Sith uh, really gave me the opportunity to do that because I got to, you know, revisit this, you know, the Sith planet, this group of Sith, uh, you know, every couple of hundred years. Uh, in the different stories in that collection, uh, and then later on in the in the comics, um, and so yeah, I, I, that, that's the sort of thing I, I dig doing. Cool. Um, I have kind of a question about the whole Star Trek thing. So since the new movies have come out, and me being a new Star Trek fan, I've sort of noticed that they're a little bit more like Star Wars than the originals, and I've started to try to watch those, and mm -hmm. I can see, you know how different they are. How do you feel about that? Do you like the new Star Trek movies? Well, I, I like them fine. I, you know, there, there used to be a very big schism between the Star Trek and the Star Wars fans. Uh, you know, certainly when I was, uh, when I was growing up, uh, you know, the, the early 80s, uh, mid-80s, uh, you, know, you know, you can tell that there's a big difference. Uh, you know, the influence really starts happening. Uh, the, the big difference 
uh, starts happening between Star Trek the next uh, Star Trek the motion picture uh, and Star Trek to the Wrath of Khan uh, because you start getting some of the industrial light and magic talent in there uh, some of the you know, some of the filmmaking talent that was behind you know the special effects uh, in Star Wars you know, some of that starts filtering in over there into uh, into into those movies even as early as then um, I, I think that yeah, it's there's definitely different, uh, definitely you know, a different feelings to you know, the Star Wars universe and the Star Trek universe. Uh, there's uh, you know, Star Wars. There's much more of a thematic direction that's modeled around the fact that we're telling you know, almost like a ring cycle, uh, a a you know the cycle of stories around. Uh, you know the the this the Jedi student who falls and then later is redeemed by his uh, the actions of his son. Uh, you know, there's there's it, it's very much more human centric. Uh, whereas Star Trek, uh, you know, it, it's much more about uh, you know it, it 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 you know Star Trek was originally conceived of as as you know wagon train to the stars to use an old television. Uh, it, it was it was all about let's see what's out there. It's going to be open ended. There's never going to be really necessarily a conclusion for these stories, uh, and it, you know we're just going to continually find out more and more and more. Uh, and uh, I think that's the way it's that's the way it's worked. Uh, you know, with the with the Abrams movies, we've had the you know, unusual, you know, circumstance of these things being sort of almost remakes without being remakes. Uh, you know, we're, we're sort of starting the story over again and seeing what Star Trek would have looked like if it had been done with, uh, you know, high technology that we, you know, that we have today. And also if they had been written as movies in the beginning instead of written as 78 episodes of, uh, of a TV program, uh, you know, on NBC in the 60s. Uh, you're going to get two different kinds of storytelling uh, just because of that. Uh, and, uh, you know, anyway, I, I could go on for a while. <laughs> I, I think, no, I, I, I do think there's a, you know, there's, these, these are fandoms that can easily peacefully coexist. Uh, and, uh, you know, certainly I think there's a different mood uh, to a, a Star Trek story and a Star Wars story. But just the form of a movie, uh, you know, that enforces some differences on storytelling uh, right there on its own. Um, and, you know, then I, I think the, the fact that uh, the technology has advanced so much, uh, you know, there, there are all sorts of things that they could not do in the original Star Trek stories. Uh, the Enterprise can land. It's always been able to land. They just couldn't do it because they couldn't afford it in the 60s. Hmm. Uh, and so we, we have that moment where, you know, we see where the Enterprise is uh, in, uh, in, uh, in this new movie. That, that's possible only because it's, uh, it's 2013 and we've got digital uh, computers doing all sorts of stuff. Well, it's still very cool, especially being someone who grew up not knowing anything about Star Trek, and now I can actually like it. <laughs> so, 
No, there's a lot of stuff to like. It's it's just it's you know it's a it's a very different world. Uh, you know, going back to watch all that old stuff. Uh, you know, it again the the uh, we grew up on reruns. Uh, we grew up on watching these things an episode every other night. We did not grow up uh, in uh, you know the Netflix era where you could see an entire series start to finish. Uh, and you know, some people have written about this that it's actually kind of tough for uh, for people of an earlier generation to explain to some of the newer viewers that you know when, when they ask, "Well, I want to watch this series," and we tell you, "Well, uh, you really only want to watch this episode, this episode, nothing from season three, uh, and, and 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 like that." Uh, you know, it, it, it's it's the complete opposite of what modern viewers will do, which is, well, I think I should be watching this series every episode from the beginning. You really don't want to watch some of these series every episode from the beginning because that was not how you know they were they were intended to be uh, watched. And in case of Star Trek, you've got uh, the fact that I think you know, it really doesn't catch fire. Uh, uh, the, the the next generation, it doesn't really catch fire until the third season, um, and so. You know, I, I, I think that it, it's it's uh, it's going to be yeah. I, I, I suggest that if you're going to get into Star Trek from the start, uh, you know, ask around and find what the good stuff to watch is. Uh, there's an episode called Spock's Brain of the original TV series. Do not watch that episode. You will wonder why anybody <laughs> you will wonder why anybody ever liked Star Trek. That's that's the trick. <laughs> That's kind of how I feel going back and watching old Doctor Who episodes. It's like, man, how did people even get into this? It was... Oh, heresy, heresy. You're <laughs> an old Whovian here. <laughs> uh. Well, you know, and I just started watching Doctor Who, but I started with the um, the stuff that came out, I guess it was in 05. Was that Chris Erickson? Uh, 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 no, it's, uh, uh, oh, gosh. Eccleson. Chris uh, Eccleson. Chris Eccleson. Eccleson. Yeah, so. yeah. Uh, again, it's one of those things where I... Uh, you know, it it's, it really helps to understand, uh, you know, what they what the limits they were working under were, and what the expectations were for the series. Um, it, Doctor Who is one of those things. Uh, it it's it's something where you can enjoy it perfectly fine by getting into just one corner of it, uh, getting into just the newest stuff. Uh, but it, but it's also one of those things where if you want to find out, uh, you know, the history of it, uh, and uh, you're patient enough to, uh, you know, you know, suffer through some weak special effects, yeah. uh, you know, there are some good stories further back. Yeah, I definitely. I've been trying to dig back into the older stuff, but yeah, it's it's tough to get through. But did you, you watch? You want the... selected ones. You just want selected ones. I think. Uh, yeah. so look for recommendations. Did you watch the the? Um season finale john i i just saw the first minute or two and i okay. was like oh yes we've actually you know canonized made official that all the other uh all the other doctors are part of this uh this character's timeline yeah definitely uh, I, I don't know if you've avoided spoilers so far but the uh the end of that episode is pretty cool so i will uh, i'll have to watch the whole thing yeah but well so well back to uh your star wars writing here um you are one of the few star wars authors who have actually written not only uh, comics, but also novels. So is there anything different about how you prepare or how you approach writing a comic as opposed to a novel? Uh, yeah, there's definitely a different bag of tricks that you have if you're writing uh, in uh, comics as opposed to prose. Uh, 
uh, you know, in comics, obviously, you can rely upon the artist to do a lot of the production design uh, to communicate a lot of what we see about uh, you know the universe that we're in, um, you know, the expressions and things like that. Uh, yeah, it's a little bit more like writing a movie or writing a TV uh, script. And in fact, you know, the the what we turn in are actually scripts um, where I'm you know telling the artist what to draw on each panel, um, but. Yeah, some of the things that we used to have as uh, storytelling tools in comics have kind of fallen by the wayside. Uh, we used to have thought balloons. Uh, thought balloons are pretty much gone now. Uh, they they fell out of style. Uh, so you know we do not have uh, the opportunity to really be inside a character's mind the whole time, um, unless we have a you know the character doing internal narration. Uh, I don't do a lot of that uh, in my work or unless we have an omniscient narrator, and I do that very rarely. I only do omniscient narration uh, just really to set up the, you know, the geography of what's going on, where we are, and you know, what, what history there is about the place. I'm really not interested in comics anyway uh, in using the narrator to tell you how a character feels. Uh, I think you should get that from uh, the context of uh, you know what the character is saying. You should get that from uh, the. Uh, you should get that from uh, the actions that you see the character undertaking. That that should all come that way. Now in prose, uh, yeah, you've got everything. Uh, you've got you've got control of the camera. You've got control of of you know the the. You know, sort of the, the you know the set direction and everything. Uh, it's on you to describe what everybody looks like. It's a, it's on you to describe what places look like, and you also do have that uh, additional benefit that you can uh, get inside a character's mind and tell people what that character is thinking. Uh, now, that character might not be a reliable witness, uh, might not be a reliable narrator. Um, and, uh, you know, I also, you know, my personal style uh, is one in which I uh, really keep it down to a couple of point of view characters uh, so we're not in everybody's minds at once. Uh, but, but, yeah, I mean, it really is a, a different approach to both of them. You know, certainly you start from the same place, writing, uh, writing your plot, uh, but, again, even then the plot is going to break down differently uh, in um, you know, just a straight novel as opposed to a comic series or, or a serialized story uh, like I'm doing uh, in prose with uh, my Overdraft. Uh, Overdraft, the Orion Offensive, is a serial that I've got uh, that I'm doing with Amazon. It's a, it's a novel, a science fiction novel uh, with, uh, with Amazon's science fiction imprint, 47 North, uh, but it uh, downloads to subscribers um, as individual chapters, uh, everybody gets 12,000 words every two weeks, uh, and uh, by the end of the you know the serializ serialization period, people will actually have a complete uh, you know full scale novel, uh, you know for just a dollar ninety nine, which is all it costs to get in. Uh, that's something which is very similar to comics, even though it's prose, uh, because I have to. Uh, you know, approach each uh, chunk, each 12,000 words, as if it's 
a comic book, as if it's a single episode uh, where there's a cliffhanger at the end, and I reset the scene and I reintroduce the characters uh, as I'm as I'm going along. Uh, so uh, yeah, I mean there are uh, there are differences between prose and comics, uh, but then you know there are some dynamics uh, that uh, that are similar. And and again, uh, as I'm finding with that serial, uh, you know that that's uh, you know definitely uh, got a lot more in comics. Uh, in common with comics than it, it has in common with just a, a your your basic novel. Right. So in our next episode, we're actually going to be uh, discussing in detail the, the latest volume of Knight Errant, Escape. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to ask you a few questions just about the Knight Errant, you know, storyline. Um, sure. Now, you had written a lot of the Knights of the Old Republic, or actually you, you were the only writer on the Knights of the Old Republic comic series, right? Yeah, that's right. We did, uh, I guess... 56 issues, including the zero issue, 57 if you include the handbook we did, uh, 10 volumes uh, is, is what that is. And, and in fact, the Knights of the Old Republic uh, omnibus uh, releases on September 10th. Uh, that, that's been added to the Dark Horse omnibus program. Uh, that is that, uh, that series of books that they do where each volume will have, uh, I think, 18 or so issues in it. Uh, and that'll be a chance for people to get uh, a big chunk of the story all at once. So, when you're when you're writing that, you basically was told from the point of view of Zane Carrick, uh, which is a male character, and then you started writing Knight Errant, and now you have a female character that you're writing. Um, is it is it easy for you to get into that mindset, or did you yeah, find that a challenge? I, I don't really find it a challenge in part because you know this is this is Star Wars, so. Uh, you know, uh, gender issues have no real role in Star Wars because uh, it's not part of you know women's suffrage and 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 equal rights movement. That's part of our history. That's not part of their history. Uh, and I sort of feel the same way about when we get into questions of race in Star Wars uh, or you know uh, things that would be an issue here or not really an issue there. Uh, you know, black, white, brown, uh, these are questions for us, but they're not really questions uh, in a world in which, uh, you know, the options for skin color include green, uh, <laughs> include uh, blue. Uh, you know, this is you know, diversity in Star Wars, uh, you know, means, you know, do we have enough Wookiees uh, in, in the scene? Do we have members of these other uh, species from other planets? Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I really did not approach Kara as being, um, you know, just different from, you know, to begin with, just because she was female. Uh, yeah, I think she was much different from Zane, uh, because she was competent. Uh, she was, <laughs> she was good at what she did, uh, and, and she has a, a much, uh, different attitude. She is driven, uh, she, I think... Uh, you would want to be friends with Zane. Zane is a very easy person to be friends with. Kara would make anyone tired. Uh, she is, uh, I think even, you know, when, when I wrote the novel, uh, you know, uh, there were a couple of people whose reaction was, wow, she's just you know, almost abrasive how, you know, uh, how difficult uh, she is to be around because she's so focused on what she wants to do. Uh, and I said, you know, that's exactly what I wanted to put across. Um, 
it really only is in the second and third volumes of the graphic novel uh, that you know she uh, feels mortal. She becomes uh, you know more human in a sense. Uh, she becomes somewhat less driven. We get to see uh, we get to see sort of the uh, you know her her you know this this uh, this facade that she's built up crack a little bit. Uh, but you know, there's no reason uh, you know that she wouldn't have that to begin with because you know she uh, she was uh, you know uh, a refugee from an area that the Sith uh, took over and you know she lost everything at a very young age and spent the next ten years of her life training to go back and on her own if she could free everybody from the Sith. She is absolutely uh, uh, she is absolutely. Uh, you know, she has a right to be difficult, uh, and she is in in those early stories. I think she does. Uh, I think uh, become more personable uh, in the second volume, and certainly in volume three, Escape. Uh, you know, we we hit her with something that uh, that really hits home. So, was there anything specific that inspired the character of Kara? Uh, you know, I I think. You know, we started with uh, with the notion that she was uh, this Jedi alone uh, on her, you know, on a mission uh, that she was determining. I mean, she had no, she was not being operated by anybody. Uh, you know, the 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 in terms of you know the Jedi Council was not sending her this place and that place and whatever. She was going places on her own. Uh, she really was, uh, you know, the you know the Japanese concept of the Ronin, the masterless samurai. Uh, she's going around doing good deeds. Uh, you know, she is, you know, to use the, uh, you know, the the actual term from chivalry, uh, the knight errant. Um, you know, Lancelot uh, is a knight errant uh, before he joins the the uh, before he joins the uh, uh, round table. Uh, and of course, you know, a lot of these knight errants can wind up. You know, either getting killed or you know trying to do something completely crazy that is just impossible, uh, you know as was the case with Don Quixote, uh, who was uh, you know completely nuts and tilting at windmills and and doing all sorts of things. Uh, a lot of the things that Kara tries to do are really not uh, you know sensible or sane things for somebody to be doing at first blush, and I figured that that was going to be the key to her character is that. Uh, you would tell her, uh, you're going to try and save 100 people? No, you can't do it. And she would say, 100 people? No, I'm going to save 100,000. Uh, and, and it was sort of like, I'll show you. I'll do, you know, I, I'll, I'll do you know, what you tell me I can't do, and then I'll do 10 times that much because that's the kind of person she is. Uh, and, and that really has been uh, you know, the approach with her. Uh, is uh, is that you know she's very much uh, you know she's very intense and I think she she gets somewhat less intense as we go along and certainly as I say you know, in Escape uh, where you know we deal with the possibility uh, that some of the people that she thought uh, you know she left behind uh, who were dead as she as she realizes that oh my gosh you know uh, my family might still be alive uh, you know that. Uh, I think really uh, you know, humanizes her to a good degree. Yeah, and the the storyline um, for Knight Errant across all of the volumes 
you know, it got pretty serious and got kind of dark sometimes, but you always had a way of keeping some levity in there. And I was reading through an issue yesterday, and I noticed uh, the hut, you know, the hut that's in the Starfighter. Like, you don't see that anywhere else in Star Wars. No, you don't. And that was a, that was a consequence of, you know, we, I, I knew that part of the, uh, part of the, uh, part of the galaxy uh, was under hut control at this time, and the Sith left them alone. Uh, and, and that was just a, a simple basic fact. Uh, that we knew because Jason Fry, I think, had written it uh, in the Star Wars Atlas and also possibly in an article somewhere. And I wanted to explain sort of why that was uh, and that the huts actually, uh, the huts of this era, uh, you know, they were not, they were not uniform, uh, all just like Jabba. Uh, you know, there, there's, there's a guy like Zoto who is very hands-on uh, and willing to use technology and willing to, uh, you know, go out and, and uh, you know, get his hands dirty uh, in the middle of, uh, in the middle of uh, Sith space out here. Uh, and, you know, also with that, that plays into the fact that I'm always, uh, you know, I think one of my common uh, themes is uh, I try to go against uh, the conventional understanding of a species uh, you know I I had the authorians uh, Dob and Del Mumo uh, in uh, the Knights of the Old Republic comics where the authorians are supposed to be peaceful and kind uh, you know Dob and Del are two of the stupidest most violent characters I've ever written uh, and you know they're they're you know, they're used for comic effect uh, but uh, you know, that's just one example. Uh, you know, uh, you know uh, we had uh, Slisk, who is a Trandoshan, uh, Trandoshan, who, uh, the, you know, a member of Bosk's species. Again, you know, he's, he should be uh, this vicious bounty hunter type. Uh, instead, he's very faint-hearted and he loves to cook. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, I, I'm, I do that quite a bit uh, playing against type. And then, of course, you know, when we did the, the Lost Tribe of the Sith stories, um, you know, I, I had to deal with the fact that all of these Sith could not be, you know, uh, you know, from central casting, you know, these, you know, knuckle-dragging evil, evil, evil villains. There had to be some texture to their society. There had to be people in that society that you know, just weren't going to make it. They weren't going to be number one, and they knew they were never going to be in charge. Uh, and so we had guys like, uh, you know, one of my favorite characters that I've written. Uh, we had uh, uh, the the librarian, uh, the historian, Varner Hiltz, uh, in Lost Tribe of the Sith. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, he's a, he, he turns out to be a, one of the heroes of the series, even though he's, you know, in his 70s. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's, that's not necessarily the first place you want to go to for an action hero. Uh, but that's, uh, that's, that's what he does. And, uh, and so we, you know, I even brought him back in, uh, Lost Tribe of the Sith, uh, the comic series Spiral that we did. Uh, that actually is another thing that's going to be releasing here. Uh, the graphic novel of that releases on July 5th. Yeah, I'm excited for that, actually. I'm a big fan of the Lost Tribe of the Sith. So, good job with that. I'm excited. 
Oh, yeah, I, I, I definitely enjoyed uh, writing that storyline, and you know, and people always ask, "Will there be more?" And I said, I, I, you know, my response is, you know, I don't know, but there's three thousand more years that we never explored, so <laughs> it's all <laughs> there. So one thing that I definitely noticed while reading through the Night Errant comics is how the artists sort of seem to change over the course of the three volumes. Was that part of the plan from the beginning, or did that just oh, sort no. of happen? No, that's that's life happening. Uh, that's you know you you, you always want to try to you know, keep uh, the same team uh, if possible. Uh, and uh, the problem is the monthly comics uh, you know, schedule is just so difficult, uh, especially when you're dealing with something like Star Wars, where uh, everything in the background counts. It's all part of continuity. You can't just draw a bunch of random aliens. Uh, you can't draw a bunch of random starships. Uh, if if you know some of them don't actually exist in this time frame, uh, it is an occupational hazard that that we have that you know people who do other kinds of comics don't really have uh, because you know you you don't have the expanded universe dynamic going on where everything counts. Everything's going to have its own page uh, on Wikipedia. People are going to be looking in the margins, uh, and you know I say that like it's you know a, a challenge. It's a challenge we're happy to meet. It just takes longer. Uh, and, you know, the, the thing is, in comics, the one thing we don't want to do is be late. Uh, and so uh, I think that results in, uh, you know, you'll have turnover happening for various reasons. And some people just you know, had, had other reasons that, uh, you know, they, they came and went. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I definitely... Uh, you know, I like the stories where we, you know, I think Lost Tribe, Lost Tribe of the Sis Spiral is one... Uh, where we had the same artist throughout. Knights of the Old Republic War uh, is a storyline where we had the same artist throughout. Uh, you know, there have been a number of uh, of the earlier Knights of the Old Republic series where Brian Ching, who created the uh, the looks for the characters, he and I were the you know the same team throughout. Uh, it's uh, and also we have that in uh, Night Errant Escape. Night Errant Escape is uh, is the same artist throughout in that storyline. Uh, yeah, it's good when you can get it to, to work out that way. I've always been yeah. curious when it comes to like lightsaber colors for the main characters. Is that anything that you you know put thought into? Was there a reason why Zane had a yellow lightsaber and Kara had a green lightsaber? Or is that just something that Zane uh, Zane had a yellow lightsaber? This is actually a story I've told before. Zane had a yellow lightsaber because uh, my Luke Skywalker action figure from Kenner had a yellow lightsaber, uh, and for years because of that, I thought that Luke Skywalker's lightsaber was yellow. Um, despite the evidence to the contrary that was on the screen. Uh, <laughs> and, and, you know, yellow just felt to me uh, like, uh, well, you know, this, this might, it, it, it had that feeling of, of amateur hour, this is not necessarily a, a highly skilled character. And then it also happened to, and this was entirely, you know, entirely unintended, uh, but at the time, because of the Nice the Old Republic video game, uh, they were trying to associate lightsaber color with a uh, Jedi subclass. So, you know, the green lightsabers were the, uh, the consulars, uh, the visions, the seers, uh, the blue lightsabers were the guardians, and the yellow lightsabers were the sentinels who were really more like scouts. And I felt that Zane was probably more like a scout because of the kind of stuff that he did. And, uh, you know, Lucian was the only one of the, the Covenant 
that had a blue lightsaber. Everybody else in the Covenant had green ones. I ended up making a plot point out of that. Uh, but yeah, that was a case where where yeah, I I did adopt uh, you know the the Bioware the video game approach to it uh, as a plot point. Uh, and yeah, in every case, I did suggest you know what color the the uh, you know the guy should have. Very cool. Um, one question I have: Do you like the novelization form of Knight Errant more than the comics, or are they about equal for well, you? Well, I mean, you know, there, it's, it, you know, the, the trick with novelization is it's not an adaptation of the comics. It's actually a completely different story. Uh, you know, some people will think, oh, this is just, you know, retelling the, the comic story. In fact, you know, it's like Lost Tribe. They're, they're separate stories. Uh, yeah, yeah, the, you get to, you get to delve into different things. When you have a novel, uh, you're, you can get into the inner life of, of, of what's going on with people, and you can get into some discussions of, uh, political and philosophical issues that are, you know, present in the society that you would not be able to do really effectively in comics. Um, you know, the Knights, the Knight Errant novel, for example, opens with a prologue where, you know, we're just, we're just dealing with one of the, we're seeing the life of one of the lesser functionaries uh, in the Sith government, uh, a guy whose job it is to you know take old discarded pieces of trash, you know, and look for places where he can uh, alter them so that he can you know you know make uh, Lord Damon's uh, you know make make Lord Damon's uh, you know decree uh, look like it was in effect you know for all time. Uh, and, you know, there's sort of that 1984, uh, uh, you know, novel uh, feeling about that, where you have the Ministry of Truth, which is going back and changing things in the past. It's something, you know, I wanted to show a slice of that character's life. Uh, he doesn't talk to anybody in that scene. He doesn't really do anything in that scene that's physical. It's all in his mind. Uh, and it's all, you know, me telling sort of the story. In comics, you could do that, uh, you know, with uh, with a lot of captions. Uh, it would be a very slow sequence to open a uh, open a comic story with, though. Uh, and you tend to want to open with an action scene. Uh, so yeah, there, I mean, there's there's some differences between you know a hundred thousand word novel uh, and a you know what what we usually end up being a hundred and ten page comic book storyline. Cool. Well, moving on from Knight Errant, um, we want to talk about Kenobi a little bit and uh, whatever it is that you can tell us. But So with Kenobi, you get to tackle one of the most popular and one of the most well-known characters in the entire Star Wars universe. What can we expect from the novel? Okay, the novel is going to come out August 27th. It's uh, it's going to be hardcover. There's also going to be you know they'll they'll have the ebook release at the same time, and they'll also have an audiobook releasing. I do not yet know who is going to be recording the audiobook, but it's definitely happening. Um, yeah, Kenobi takes place in the weeks after uh, Obi Wan moves to uh, Tatooine. Uh, you know, after the after the end of Episode Three, uh, this is a story that I. Uh, started writing uh, many years ago, uh, uh, and you know, I, I, I haven't gotten into a lot of detail. Uh, I, you know, as, as we get close to the time, I'll get into you know, sort of where we came up with the idea and how it evolved. Uh, but it was a, it was a concept that 
you know, I I felt needed more time to develop and more space to develop, and it, it happened that you know, now uh, made sense. Now was a good time to do it, and I'm really glad that uh, that uh, you know Del Rey, uh, you know, was interested in pursuing this. Um, it is a different kind of story because it's not uh, it's not uh, your big space opera. Uh, you know, you know, you're, you're not going to have giant space battles. It is about uh, a man who has uh, suffered the loss of the Jedi Order, suffered the loss of his best friend, uh, suffered the loss of basically his way of life in the galaxy. Uh, having to move from being at the center of events uh, to basically going into witness protection, uh, living on the absolute fringes of civilization, uh, and uh, watching over a child who is going to be the new hope of the galaxy. Implicit in that is that the old hope has failed. Uh, and that uh, that Obi Wan Kenobi is no longer going to to be you know the decisive factor in what happens to the rest of the universe. It's going to be Ben Kenobi protecting uh, young Luke uh, and making sure that uh, you know making sure that the Emperor does not find uh, either one of them. Um, just by the very nature of of his predicament. Uh, you know, he can't be uh, doing uh, a whole lot of, uh, you know, stuff where he's running around with a lightsaber in his hand uh, through the streets of Coruscant. It's just, it's not where he is right now. And that is, uh, that is a challenge that he has to, uh, to deal with because he's still a Jedi. He still wants to be active. He still wants to be helpful. Um you know, what he discovers on Tatooine is uh, a galaxy in microcosm uh, with its good people and its bad people and its threats. And, you know, his impulse is to participate. His impulse is to be a Jedi. And his mission is to do something completely different. His mission is to keep his head down, not get involved, not let anybody know who he is. Um, and so this is very much more like a Western, I think, uh, in, both in setting uh, and in spirit, uh, in that uh, this, is, this is a story about life on the frontier, life on the fringe. Uh, it, is a, it is a very personal story about a man who has been to war and who uh, is having to pick up the pieces uh, and try to go on uh, with his new mission. Uh, and it is, I think, uh, you know, it, it, it is the work that I have done that I am proudest of. And I'm really hoping that it, uh, it finds an audience. Oh. Wow. Yeah, this is awesome. definitely... Awesome. That the, makes me... Go ahead, Aaron. I was just going to say, uh, this is definitely the novel that I'm the most looking forward to this year, so... Yeah, me too. I, I, again, uh, it, it simply is a matter of understanding uh, that... You know there are there are different uh, you know yes uh, lightsaber battles and giant uh, you know space uh, conflicts those are Star Wars but Star Wars is also about 
patience. Star Wars is also about uh, the Sith lying in wait for their, uh, you know, for, for their big opportunity to come up. Uh, you know, waiting is definitely a big part of, uh, of A New Hope because, you know, uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi has been play-acting as Ben Kenobi for the last 18 years. Uh, and yet, in this case, it was the right and heroic thing to do. Uh, and so, yeah, it is, it is, it's going to have a different feel, a different tempo, uh, but one that I think really suits uh, the setting. Uh, life on Tatooine, uh, it, it just has a different pace. Uh, and uh, Obi-Wan's problem is wherever he is, things tend to speed up. Wherever he is, there tends to be action. Uh, you know, he's a trouble magnet to a degree. And this, again, is contrary to, to you know, what is in the best interest of his mission. Yeah, and not, not a lot is really known about, like, Obi-Wan at this time. There are some stories that are in the EU, kind of, you know, small stories about stuff that he was doing while he was on Tatooine protecting Luke. Did you do any kind of research into those stories and make any effort to kind of tie in anything, or is it kind of clean slate, didn't even well, really think uh, about this, it? This is a completely new story. I, you know, my intention with this was, was not to connect the dots between things that we had seen before. I didn't retell anything that we've already seen. However, I did read everything that was out there, and this fits. Um, I did, you know, I've read the Scholastic stuff. I've, I've... Um, you know, I've I've read everything that was, you know, in uh, in the West End games books about Tatooine, and you know, I've uh, you know, even even you know the locations, uh, everything you know, geographically. Uh, you know, if if you've got that Dorling Kindersley uh, book, the complete locations, which has you know really the the the, the most recent and the most. Uh, the most specific map of uh, of Tatooine uh, and the jungle and oasis that's out there. You know, if you've got that, you can follow along with your finger <laughs> as, <laughs> as as we're traveling around here. Um, you know that that was that was something that I'd already experienced by doing the maps myself for uh, for Lost Tribe of the Sith uh, that that appeared there. Uh, I knew that the setting was one of the stars of this book, and so I wanted to get that right. Uh, but again, that's that's all secondary to the story and secondary to you know what's happening to Ben. Cool. Well, and on the note of you tackling Obi Wan Kenobi in this time frame, has it occurred to you or been of any interest to you to do something like this for Yoda as well? You know, I I would be interested to do a lot of different things. Uh, you know, and and certainly. You know, we're we're you know we're all waiting to see what's going to happen uh, with with the new movies as well. Um, you know, I'm 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 open to that. Uh, you know, I'm at, at the same time I I'm doing a number of other things uh, as well. I uh, as I mentioned earlier here, you know, I have the first uh, you know project that's really solely mine. Uh, this this serial that I'm doing with uh, with Forty Seven North with Amazon, uh, you know, called Overdraft, uh, which people can find by going to uh, amzn.to slash overdraft1. Uh, a buck 99 gets you a novel downloaded to you every two weeks. It's automatic. Uh, it's, it's, it, yeah, it, it's, it's a serial, it's, so it's downloaded in chapters. Uh, and and it's, it's, a, it's a science fiction story that, you know, is, 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 is mine, 
which is significant because, you know, I, I, I got to the middle of last year and I realized that I had written a million words over the last 10 years and I didn't own any of them. Uh, I, I wanted to actually you know, begin working on some of my own projects. So, so I have that coming out and the, you know, the, the trade paperback, you know, the, the book of that will release this summer uh, after the serialization period is over. Uh, and then I've been dabbling in some other, uh, some other things as well. I have, uh, you know, believe it or not, the next thing that I have out, uh, May 29th, uh, I have a story in the, uh, seventh issue of the Simpsons Summer Shindig. Uh, it is, Bongo Comics does an annual Simpsons comic book, uh, and I've, I've been doing some Simpsons comics, uh, stories uh lately and that's kind of funny because my kids are not impressed by star wars but they think the stuff i do for the simpsons is just you know that's cool i don't know why they think that that they they i guess it's because it's on tv uh at an hour where they can see it i i don't know what it is but uh but but yeah that the simpsons you know makes them big you know, makes them very popular at school uh and then i have i have some other uh you know licenses other things that i've been uh you know working with at the same time uh, but, you know, I think really this year has, you know, the, the balance has, uh, is, has changed a little for me this year. I'm trying to not just do exclusively licensed work. Uh, that's, that's been one of my changes this year, sort of like the last couple of years, the balance between, you know, doing 100% comics, uh, and, and, uh, you know, doing more prose. I'm, I'm definitely doing a lot more prose this year. Uh, but that doesn't mean that I'm I'm not still doing some comics here and there. Uh, you know, I, I even did stuff for the you know the Star Wars role playing game back a few years ago. Uh, don't know whether I would do that again, uh, but you know, it's it's something I'm definitely open to. Cool. Well, let's talk about Overdraft just for a second. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the story and the characters? Okay, uh, Overdraft is uh, set in the 22nd century. It is a it is a time frame in which uh, Earth has been part of the intergalactic trading system for uh, for about twenty or thirty years, uh, and it's uh, it's 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 something where you know we reached the stars and we found that they were open for business. Uh, there's a big, uh, robust trading network that's out there, and you know the uh, the world's corporations have gotten involved and they've got expeditions out everywhere, uh, and our story uh, focuses. Uh, on two characters, uh, Jamie uh, is a uh, he's a basically a, a stock trader. He you know works at a desk for one of the expeditions back home, uh, and he is one of these guys who is sort of a rogue trader. He thinks he's going to make some money on the side, uh, and uh, he executes a lot of trades that in the end bankrupts his expedition, um, and he's ready to go hide and. He's stopped by the fact that the expedition's uh, you know, mercenaries uh, come back from outer space, grab him, and say, okay, you know what? We don't want to lose our jobs. We're going to take you with us, and we're going to go back to the most dangerous places that we can find, and you're going to get all of our money back. Uh, you know, we, we've got $100 billion that we've got to earn back over the course of 100 days, which incidentally happens to match the number of days that the serial is running. Uh, so actually our story is going in real time, uh, which is kind of fun. Uh, but uh, but the, yeah, the leader of the mercenaries, the leader of the bodyguards, 
uh, is a woman named uh, Bridget Yang, and she is no nonsense. And she uh, and uh, she and Jamie do not get along in the beginning. Uh, and I think it's it's uh, it's in a sense if people have been reading my comics. Uh, you know, it, if people can imagine uh, a a team up between Griff uh, and Kara Holt, uh, <laughs> Griff was the uh, you know the conniving uh, swindler from the Knights of the Old Republic series. Uh, Kara was the you know the 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 you know driven Jedi. Uh, you know these characters are somewhat different, but uh, you know it is it is definitely uh, a situation where you know we take advantage of the serialized nature of the story by you know, every episode we go to a different planet and we we deal with uh, a, a different threat, uh, a different predicament. While at the same time, uh, we're elaborating on uh, you know a larger uh, you know a larger threat that's out there in the galaxy. And by the time it all gets put together as a full book, it'll read as a novel. Um, but you know, there's definitely cliffhangers there. There's uh, you know there's there's a lot of humor in it. Uh, you know, this is this is kind of you know, me being able to run a little bit wild here, uh, both with, uh, you know, the characters and the interplay, uh, and, and also, uh, you know, the setting, uh, you know, my aliens are not, uh, you know, they're not, they're not, uh, they're not just humans with bumpy heads or whatever. They're, 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 they're really, really alien sort of characters. Uh, and yet while they look so much different than, than humans, uh, you know, we find out that, uh, you know, they're actually sort of like us in some almost comical ways. Um, and, you know, one of the other, you know, fun things for me about this is that, uh, you know, I got to create a, uh, you know, a science fiction setting from scratch. Uh, and that involved figuring out how space travel worked and how commerce worked and, you know, what the physics of the, of the galaxy were. Uh, and that was a lot of fun. One of the uh, one of the unique things about this story uh, is that uh, you know I I set up uh, the physics of the universe so that nothing can go between stars except uh, items of a certain size, about the size of a railroad car. Uh, so it, th these things get shot between these transit. Uh, stations that are that are out between out between stars, uh, and the consequence of that is you can't have giant starships with hyperspace, you know, going from one uh, realm to the other. Uh, you know, you actually have to dismantle your starship before you send it through the portal and then put it back together again, um, and and that has all sorts of consequences for. You know how combat works in this universe and how travel works in this universe, uh, and it's much more like uh, you know sort of like space travel in the age of rail, uh, uh, or or rail travel in the space age, uh, because it's all about uh, it's all about containers. It's all about the fact that you can reconfigure ships. There's not a single way that a certain ship looks, uh, and so that's kind of fun. Uh, also, uh, one of the other tricks with this, uh, with this universe is there is no subspace. There is no, um, you know, there's no instantaneous communication. Uh, you cannot get on the radio and hear that Alderaan has blown up, uh, or, 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 you know, speak to somebody at, at home base. Uh, information travels no faster than, than, you know, matter can or that the people can. And the result of that, uh, is that, 
uh, you know, these expeditions that are traveling around, it is much more like, uh, you know, the uh, exploration in the Age of Sail, uh, where, you know, the East India Company would send expeditions to India or the East Indies, and they would have no idea if, you know, when the ship would be coming back or what it would be carrying. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, that has consequences for commerce and the, you know, the stock market in, uh, in, in this society that I've developed, and that's actually one of the things that, that Jamie uh, tries to take advantage of. So, uh, you know, it's something, uh, you know, Amazon, uh, 47 North, the publisher, you know, they've classified it alternately as, as high-tech science fiction, hard science fiction, uh, military science fiction, space marine science fiction, uh, I just think it's it's uh, it's fun, and uh, you know, it's something I hope I get to do some more of. Yeah, it sounds great. Um, I know I have it downloaded on my iPad and ready to go to start reading. And yeah. you know, the fun thing about it is that since it's my universe, you know, I've been able to do things like I've got a I've got a running timeline now on my website, FarawayPress.com, where you know, as each episode comes out. Uh, I'm adding more information to the glossary, more information to the timeline. Uh, you know, I, I have that ability because I don't have to go through, you know, a, an approval process to you know, to write about these things. Uh, and again, I, I I still love working with the licensed universes, the other sandboxes. It's wonderful, um, and you know, it's it's great. But it's also fun to be able to just have an idea and be able to get it online in five seconds. Yeah, I love the idea of the the serial stories that you're doing. So. I downloaded it as well, so I'm definitely looking forward to checking it out. Yeah, and you know, I, I really do think this takes us back to, you know, this is how science fiction stories, uh, you know, the novels, some of the earliest novels, they were serialized. They were in pulp magazines. They were in, you know, Amazing Stories and Astounding and those kinds of, uh, those kind of magazines. And only later did they put them together as novels. Um, and, you know, for the last 50 or 60 years, sort of the standard bearer of serialized fiction has been the comic book. Uh, you know, it you know, continued in the next issue, continued next month. You know, that's really been a thing that's been in comics, but has not been anywhere else in print. Um, and, you know, now, uh, you know, now we have comics that, you know, the, the monthly comic turns into the graphic novel uh, at the end. You know, I, now we have this opportunity here to, you know, start collecting you know the individual episodes of of a of a prose story uh you know as a novel at the end and you know it also sort of it, it's it's good for the writer because uh you're able to build an audience for the book before the book actually comes out um and uh you know there's there's uh there's a lot to be said for that definitely well, John, we really want to thank you for coming on the show and doing an interview with us. It means a ton, so thank you so much. Sure thing. I, I've greatly enjoyed it. Um, so where can people find you on the Internet, um, Twitter, Facebook, website? Okay, yeah, here's, here's the list. Uh, farawaypress.com is my website. I have a behind-the-scenes page on there for every novel, every short story, uh, every comic book that I've uh, ever written. Uh, with trivia and other things, uh, my Twitter uh, for for my fiction and comics is JJM Faraway. Uh, I also have a you know I'm simply uh, John Jackson Miller on Facebook, so I, I'm I'm on there. Uh, and then you know sort of my hobby site, 
which I've been running for many years, uh, is uh, is called Comicron. Uh, it is uh, short for the Comics Chronicles, uh, C-O-M-I-C-H-R-O-N dot com. Uh, and what I've been doing over there is, uh, you know, I've I, I've got on there top seller lists for comic books going all the way back to 1960. Uh, and that's just been one of my hobby interests for years that I've been collecting that. And, you know, I update it every month as the new sales figures and everything come out. Uh, and it's a fun uh, fun place to just go look around at. Oh, that's really cool. I'll definitely have to check that out. Um, so you can find us. We're Star Wars Bookworms on Twitter. It's SW Bookworms. You can also find us on Facebook. Just search for Star Wars Bookworms. Uh, my personal Twitter is Ice Cold Penguin. And Aaron? And mine is A.V. Goins. And you can also email us with any questions, comments, or anything like that at StarWarsBookworms at gmail.com. So thank you for joining us on this episode of Star Wars Bookworms The Interviews. Our May review episode will be out next week. We're going to be reviewing Night Errant Volume 3 Escape and Darth Vader and the Ghost Prison. So stay tuned. And again, John, thank you so much for coming on the show. We'd love to have you back sometime in the future, maybe after Kenobi comes out. Sounds like a good thing. All right. All right, that's awesome. That's a wrap. Thank when, you uh, so much, John. There's apparently another novel called Overdraft. <laughs> I, I got an email from uh, Amazon after I purchased it. Yeah. And in the subject line, it said Amazon something something Overdraft. And like to me, the word Overdraft means like oh, yeah. I spent too much money. Oh anyway. yeah, yeah. No, it's and and you know the way the way we came up with it is we realized okay, this is a guy that is you know he he's 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 a, he's a hundred billion dollars in the hole. He's got to make this money back by the end of the thing. And you know, we also have the, you know sort of the draft thing going on there because they grab them and they take them away. Um, but but yes, that was that was why we put the uh, the Orion offensive after it because yeah. we wanted to make sure it had that feeling of okay, well this is a science fiction story here. Um, but uh, but yeah, yeah, this is the problem with uh, your 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 uh, your science fiction franchises. All the good names are taken. Yes, <laughs> I I searched for Knight Errant the other day on uh, Goodreads. Yeah, and you will not believe how many novels are named are titled Knight Errant. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah, and and what I what we also found out was that nobody when when the book came out and this I feel horrible about this nobody knew what a Knight Errant was. Um, so <laughs> one of one of the I, I I don't know if people just didn't you know get their chivalry you know in in high school or whatever, but the term. Just a bunch of people had not heard what the term was, or didn't did not they they didn't pronounce it right or whatever. And so you know, in the novel, uh, I I wish we actually hadn't done it. We they, they we actually explain what a night errant is three different times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did catch that. Yeah, I shouldn't have done it like that. But I was I was like, you know, I I uh, night error or what? We don't get it anyway. Uh, <laughs>